You are listening to the Independent Dealer Podcast with hosts Luke Godwin and Jeff Watson. Hello and welcome to the Independent Dealer Podcast brought to you by Buckeye Dealership Consulting. Uh, Luke, another great installment of our How I Built This series. This is a friend of mine, Mr. Jason Berry. He's on the Utah Board of Directors for me, with me, and I'm blown away, man. Jason, thanks for joining us. Give Absolutely. us, tell everybody, because how old are you, Jason? Uh, I just turned 33 in March. Oh, wow. What a baby. <laughs> He's got a full head of hair, man. He looks great. <laughs> I, I am losing it though over here. Yeah, uh, not like Jeff. Not like Jeff. decade in the industry, uh, Jason. So your your dealership called Action Auto. You're up in northern Utah. Uh, for the audience listening, give us kind of the just the scope of your business model. Like, what are your typical cars? How many do you carry? What's your goal for sales, employees? Give us kind of an idea of the scope of where you are now, and then I'd like to rewind back to your origins and, and talk about how you got to where you are now. Cool. Um, yeah. So uh, two locations, um, only about 15 minutes apart from each other. Um, I have one in Lehigh, Utah, one in Orem, Utah. Um, and then I have two offsite overflow locations. Uh, we carry right in between like 550 up to like 600 cars in inventory. Um, typically about 30% of those is in the reconditioning process. So we hover around like 400 to 450 in on the front line at any given time. Um, yeah, two locations. Um, yeah, 550 to 600 in inventory. Uh, I tr- most of the locations are about an acre and a half to two acres per location, um, and then we want to stock on site about 150 per location um, and have about I think we have 46 employees right now. Um, at the dealership, including reconditioning, sales, F&I. The structure consists of uh, six F&I agents um, and then straight to the sales floor where we have uh, 12 agents, six per store. Uh, we typically have five to six agents on the sales floor, three full-time F&I guys. Wow. And, and how, many, how many cars you sell in a month? Uh, we're anywhere from 200 to 230 a month. Um, is typically where we're at and that's retail units um, and then we have some wholesale we do a lot of wholesale just based on um, our inventory we have yeah. a lot of like late model stuff um, that we'll wholesale um, so yeah retail wholesale on top i want everybody to stop for a second because jason 47 employees doing the volume you're doing that is i think incredible you're getting every ounce of of workmanship out of each employee i I mean, I could do a whole podcast on how great that is. Um, yeah. Because I'm sure at some point you've had a lot more employees than that, right? Yeah. I, the, most, been... the most we've ever had is, is I think, like 50. I, I kind of take a lot of pride in running really, really lean and efficient. Yeah. Um, it, where, whether that's reconditioning or the sales floor or not having a desk manager or a sales manager or something like that. Um, but really delegating clear lines of responsibility to each person and then building the process around it. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. So did I miss this part, but did you, I mean, your business model, is it, is it like subprime CAC or are you doing all prime? Is it like I make $2 on the front end and then like another 2000 on the points or what's your business model? Yeah. So we are heavy on the back end. Um, so we, we do too, we are a volume dealership, obviously, 
Um, we do, uh, we are pretty heavily focused on back-end penetration, um, ancillary products, stuff like that. Um, our margins are decent, actually, um, on the front end, um, but I think a lot has to contribute to how efficient our reconditioning process. I always say the money's made in the buy and lost in your process. Um, <laughs> so we're pretty efficient in the reconditioning process uh, and we're pretty controlled, uh, which obviously promotes a higher gross margin on the front end. Um, we do very little subprime. Um, I would actually like to get a little bit more into subprime. I think right now um, we're seeing a lot of subprime customers, um, just I think due to the climate of how the business is trending. Um, a lot of, I think, prime credit customers are kind of uh, holding back and not needing to take a move. And there's a subprime presence right now in the market that uh, seems to be pretty consistent. So we're actively working on, we do have CAC, Cap One, Ally and stuff like that. Um, so we're actually actively working on maybe a little bit deeper subprime. Mm. And so when you say money's lost in the process, yeah, just to touch on this and we'll come back to it, but mm -hmm. you have a recon process, right? What's your connection with Carketa? How, cause I saw that all over your website and I've heard yeah. you talk about it. What's the connection yeah. there with you and that? Yeah, so um, I am the co-founding president of Carketa. Um, so it actually, the, the product uh, was developed inside of our dealership, uh, the needing to scale, right, and control processes. Um, so yeah, that's really what we set out to do is, is create a really streamlined, robust recon process um, to get your cars to the front line in the most controlled manner possible, but time is money, right, um, fast. Um, so it was really built out of a necessity. I work a lot on the product side. Um, and yeah, it, it just is a complete suite from appraisal. Uh, we have live market data. We have reconditioning. So we help buy, uh, recondition the vehicles and then hand off a sales packet to the sales team uh, is primarily where we live. Um, and yeah, I'm still very active in that company. Um, I spent actually a good majority of my time at Carquetta now. Wow. Wow. That's, I, I mean, wow. And he's 33 years old, Jeff. What did we do wrong? <laughs> <laughs> A good percentage of my two hours a day that I work. Um, so, <laughs> Jason, so now that the listeners have the scope of what you've got going on, locations, employees, the car keta thing happening, let me rewind back to the beginning. Yeah. And stop me if I'm wrong here, because I've only heard parts of conversations that you said. Did you used to be a lane wrangler at yeah. the auctions? Because yeah. I vaguely remember your face running around a car at Brazier's Salt yeah. Lake. Did you work at Brazier's Salt Lake? I did. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's originally where I started. So do you want me to just dive into kind of how I built up? <laughs> built yeah, up? let's do it. Dive in. Cool. Um, yeah. So my dad is actually an auctioneer. So my uncle and my dad have been in the business for quite a while. Um, my dad specifically on the wholesale side, he's actually still an auctioneer. A uh, really great one at that, um, but he sent me to be a, an auctioneer in between my junior and senior year of high school. Um, so I went up to uh, Montana to go to a uh, two-week course to become an auctioneer in between my junior and senior year of high school. Um, and I graduated from that. Um, the day after I turned 18, uh, my dad got me a, a job at the auction as, what would you call it, a lane wrangler? Yeah, well, what's, what's, the, what's the official term? <laughs> yeah, a job. A ringman. Yeah, so I, I was a ringman. I, I started out as a ringman when I was 18. Um, I finally, I, I kind of worked my way up to being actually an auctioneer 
um, from the time I was like maybe 19, 20, 21. Um, so my, my schedule was I worked at Odessa uh, in Salt Lake on Tuesday. Wednesday, I went to Mannheim, Utah, worked there. Um, and then I flew to Phoenix on Thursdays. I worked at Phoenix and then I would bum ride from Phoenix to Vegas um, okay. every week, um, which uh, and then I'd work at Mannheim, uh, Las Vegas on Fridays. And that was kind of my route. Um, and I did that from the time I was 18 till I slowly transitioned out, um, starting the dealership when I was 22, fully transitioned out of, uh, the wholesale side of the industry when I was like maybe 23. So I was actually running the dealership, uh, from very infancy stages alongside with auctioneering, uh, from like 22 to 23. That's Did helpful. You, I, He's auctioneering and bidding at the, like the same time. <laughs> sold, sold action. Sold the, <laughs> it just happened to sell to this number in the crowd. <laughs> the, the, yeah, that I tell you, um, I grew up in auctions. Um, our family has been in business uh, 38 years. And so, I mean, I, I think the first time I ever went to an auction, I mean, I was probably like seven, eight years old. Right. And I probably bought my first car at 12. So I can see how being an auctioneer, or being a ring man, I mean, you kind of, you kind of figure it out, right? I mean, is that, is that how it, is that how the bug got you? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was, I was blessed to really learn like the, the wholesale side of the industry very, very well. Obviously that's super important in running a dealership eventually. Um, but yeah, I, I always, uh, so I, I worked at the auction, like the auction only lasts to like noon, right? Um, so I wanted something to do, uh, post the auction. So I actually went and got a job at a dealership for <laughs> two years, uh, pretty successful dealership up here in Utah, actually really successful. I think they're one of the larger dealerships, um, in Utah. Um, but I, I got a job there doing sales and finance after my auction gig. And I did that for, uh, about two years. Um, so I learned the, I learned the wholesale side of the industry yeah. really, really well. Um, and then I also got the opportunity to learn uh, the retail side of the industry from some pretty, pretty awesome people in the industry. What was the catalyst or what was the what sparked the idea to open your own dealership and get your own license and open your own place? Was that yeah. something your dad recommended or was that you just seeing these guys making more money than you were making or like what yeah. where did that come from? So my, my dad's always been my dad's uh, a little of all of that. Right. Um, my dad's always been a business owner. A lot of people don't know, but he owns actually a couple of uh, pretty successful flooring stores in Utah as well. Um, but he's always been a business owner. Um, I loved, I always dreamed of being a business owner, an entrepreneur. I've kind of been that way uh, my whole life. Um, I love like when the ball falls on me. I love, um, I love uh, building businesses. So I, I knew pretty early on that I kind of wanted an education, which eventually would transition into probably me starting my own dealership. Um, and it was uh, when I was like uh, 23, I guess, 22, 23 um, is when I leased my first location um, and started the dealership, just super humble, really small, um, started out with, I, I always say like 10 grand in my pocket and a line of credit is really kind of what I started the dealership with, um, really ghetto cars, you know, like what I could buy, you know, at the time. And uh I still have pictures back in like 2013 of, of like five cars on the lot, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I started that, that's where I started. Um, I, I wanted, I saw these guys, uh, living pretty luxurious lives in Vegas, uh, as dealers. <laughs> yeah. <man. laughs> so I, I wanted some of that. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's basically where, where it started. 
Okay, so so you're 23. Uh, yeah. You you were an auctioneer for five years, uh, and that, and that's a that's a rough life. You got to do it early, right? Because yeah. I mean that's a lot of traveling. It's uh, auctioneers kind of like to have a big time. I get it. Um, I, I've hung out with probably too many of them. Um, and so uh, you're 23. You open this lot. Did you have a an idea of of how big you wanted to grow then, or was it just you know what if I can go out and sell 20, 30 cars a month? I'm gonna make a good living. I'm gonna I'm gonna have fun. Or was it like you know what? I'm gonna have multiple locations. What was the initial thought process there? Yeah, initial thought process is I was like, you know, obviously it's it's always scary taking a gamble, starting your own business, you know. But I, I was I was pretty confident. I was like, oh, if I can just sell like 10, 15 cars a month, like I'm good, right? Um, so it originally started with like that 10, 15 car a month goal. Um, which then just led to like, as you, as you see the wheel of success and you're selling and selling and selling and selling, I think it just kind of builds momentum. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I, we actually, we won an award four years in a row for fastest growing companies in Utah Valley um, for, and it just kind of steamrolled. I, I got addicted to, to selling and success and everyone's really excited. Uh, I ended up buying my first location that I developed and still have my Lehigh store only uh, two years after I started the dealership. So uh, originally it was like, if I can just sell 10, 15 cars um, and then just, I guess, got addicted to growth and just kept going. Hey guys, just real quick to interrupt the podcast. Want to make sure you guys know about Buckeye Dealership Consulting, obviously sponsor the podcast for a long time now and a great place for your reinsurance, all of your CPIs and CFIs and all those acronyms. Yeah. All the acronyms make you extra money. And and uh, like we were talking about during the episode, how back-end products mean so much to buy here, pay here dealerships. They mean so much to retail dealerships. Jeff, if you're not selling your own back-end products, you are losing so much money. And for that matter, if you're not selling back-end products, period, you're losing so much money. Mm-hmm. So get with uh, Buckeye, get your reinsurance company set up, sell these back-end products, make more money during the sale and make more money years down the road. So it gives me so many questions, but the first one is if someone's listening to this and they're in the same situation, they're a 23 year old with a dealership, like you remember the one guy that was at the convention with us, like what, how does, how did, I mean, can you share with us, like, how do you physically like, Hey, Mr. Bank, I've got two years in existence and I want you to give me a $3 million loan to build my own dealership. Or, hey, yeah. Mr. Bank, I want you to give me a $5 million line of credit because I want to floor 600 cars like Ferraris, yeah. Lamborghinis. Like, so, yeah, funny story about that, actually. Um, so I've always been really, really conservative and lived kind of by the principle of it's easier to have too much money than not enough, um, <laughs> where I, I, w- I was very, very frugal, paid myself very little um, money. Funny story is, is I actually went to my bank to get my first loan to start my dealership. Um, and essentially what happened is I went to Chase Bank, tried to get a loan, um, couldn't actually get a loan. Um, I actually, it, funny story is I actually had more money in the bank than what I was actually trying to pull out um, at the time. And they, they declined me because I didn't have the two years in business. I wasn't established. Um, and yeah, so I, I got declined. But my dad had actually a connection over, I don't know if you guys are aware uh, are familiar with Rock Canyon Bank. But uh, my dad had a friend over at Rock Canyon Bank and said, hey, take a look at his financials. He's doing good. He has money in the bank. 
Um, and I think because my dad had a little bit of a track record with them, they were willing to take a gamble on me. Um, obviously, I had to put up my house um, and everything else to, to kind of make the deal happen. Um, but yeah, I was able to purchase my first location that I ended up developing uh, in 2015. Uh, it was just a ghetto house on an acre um, that me and my wife stripped it down uh, and basically like turned it into a sales office. And then we sold off dirt for uh, six months until we could afford to put asphalt down. <laughs> basically, is how that went. <laughs> Our first, our first location was the ghetto house. I mean, exactly yeah. the same. And and so I, uh, I remember that. And uh, we finally knocked it down about 15 years in business and and redid one of our shops. So there's always ways to get ahead, right? And and I love yeah. that principle of, you know, pay yourself nothing to get ahead, right? That's how you build yeah. businesses. Yeah, yeah. But then you're also willing to take the risk to put what you have built and set aside, like. Very few of us, I mean, well, most of us probably have personal guarantees on any lines we have, but everything, yeah. To go to go second your home, you know, if you have to, to to have that kind of faith to be like, yeah, I'm gonna take out a second mortgage on my house to get the money I need to put into the dealership because I trust myself, because I know I'm gonna yeah. be successful, I'm gonna make this work. That's it's sometimes it's easy to just go out there and be like, oh, I'm gonna get a bank line of credit or an SBA loan that has no recourse personally past my home. And then if I fail, I fail oh well. You know, like yeah. different mentality. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it definitely, definitely scary. But I, I I fortunately had built like a pretty decent team at that time. So I had a I had a lot of confidence in what we could do as a team, uh, which obviously was super helpful. Um, I had my cousin that was working doing F and I there and, uh, uh, yeah, we, we were doing well at the time. I think we were turning like a hundred and, you know, obviously as you're a smaller dealership, you can turn a higher percentage of your inventory. But at the time, I mean, we were, we were turning like a hundred percent, 110, 120% of our inventory every month, um, because we were small and we could control it, you know? Um, so we had really great momentum, um, yeah, in 2015 was my first purchase. We ran that for finally end up developing and finishing the development with asphalt and everything in about late 2016. Um, and then 2017, it seems like pretty consistently I make a jump about every two years. Um, and then 2016, we finished the construction like fully. Um, and then I did, uh, I heard of a dealership that was uh, wanting to sell uh, the Orem location in 2017 um and essentially what happened is uh, a dealership that was running kind of it was actually an old hyundai store um that there there was a guy that purchased it and he was kind of running it like a mechanic shop not doing super well didn't have a strong sales present and it's right on straight state street it's a big beautiful location um but essentially he was a little bit in hot water and i heard of the opportunity through one of my Mannheim reps um and 2017 i actually did like a short-term lease on a little location in orem for like uh three or four months kind of set up shop down there and purchased the the second store in 2017 uh which used to be i think it was murdoch hyundai um so, jason i want to go back to i want to go back to you talked about your team and you, you mentioned yeah. your cousin that's what yeah. i want to i need help with that i need you to tell yeah. me how as a 23, 24 year old at the time, how did you attract talent 
that was obviously, I mean, you, you must have some killers. You must have some just absolute just salesmen to scale that quickly and still be doing the volume you do with such a lean staff. Like talk to me about that, your, your staff and how you attracted top talent. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting because I've always been, um, it was, it was my cousin that came back. He, he had just come back from mission. We all know return missionaries are probably good salesmen, right? Um, but yeah, they'll talk, I, to, they'll talk to anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and they're just super nice, super polite, you know, uh, good vibe about them. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have to give a lot of credit to, to my team, you know, to my cousin, my wife has always been like, uh, a foundation supporter. She did uh, accounting, which then led into the title department and she did, you know, so I have a lot of really great support around me. Um, I think recruiting's always been, I think I've always been able to sell a vision and then be able to, I feel like execute on the vision. Um, so I think you just kind of build a, a momentum and a track record around, uh, what you are and what you're doing and, um, social media has always actually been a big part of our recruiting process. Um, we always wanted to promote the people that work within the dealership, make it a fun environment to work with, work, uh, work with unlimited swag at Action Auto, like um, just tons of company pride, which I think makes the recruiting process and, and uh, attracting top talent really easy. Um, take care of your people, you know. Um, if they're doing well, you're going to do well. Um, and I always made sure that I focused on making sure that my team was doing really well, you know, um, whether that's paid plans, fun, happiness, like was always top of mind for me because I always felt like if they were happy, um, we were going to perform well. How, how do you, I could see how people could see your vision. Um, you're charismatic, you're, you know, people see you're successful in it. And you talk about wanting people to have fun uh, in your in your dealership. Yeah. How do you balance? How do you balance uh, people having fun and people doing their jobs? Because sometimes I think some of us uh, end up in a in an issue there. Have you have you learned something that that maybe you can share with the audience? Yeah, I, I think fun is generated by like success as a company, right? Like you always want to have. Fun you always want to be fun. You always want to, um, you always want to like, uh, but you want to also have like really tight structure, you know, like if there's an expectation of we're here from this time to this time, we do that, you know, make it as fun as possible while being there. Um, but always, I, I think creating a model and pay plans and everything that sets, uh, the long-term vision up for success is so important because, Um, if you're, if you have clear vision and you have clear goals of where you want to be and you architect a model around getting there, um, you're always successful. Right. Um, and if you're hitting those benchmarks to get there, you're always successful, which, uh, if everyone's hitting their goals, everyone's having a lot of fun. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so important. Uh, yes. Hitting goals is fun. Um, and, but people have to know they have to do their job in the, in the, process of that yeah uh, yeah that's cool yeah looking yeah. at your looking at your instagram it looks like you've got a bunch of like uh you know clean cut uh chads you know and a bunch of like gym bros that are probably just freaking like 
slinging cars, making 10 grand a month, spending it all on protein and freaking uh, <laughs> like, workout protein, you know, the basic side by sides. <laughs> um, the reason I dig into that so much is I just, I do think that you look at some of these dealerships that have this crazy trajectory, right? We have a bunch of friends in the industry that just rocket ships, right? But it's a culture. It's this such an interesting, like lightning in a bottle culture that obviously comes down from the owner, which apparently I have none of that because that's <laughs> like, I am like snail's pace. You're talking about like three years ago, shiz was like going crazy and you're scared. I'm like, I don't, I don't think I've even, I'm not even sure I've changed the carpet here in seven years. I don't know that anything's changed. Sharp. We've all seen it. <laughs> it's, it's been, it's been business as usual. We haven't hit any kind of a milestone. Like I've sold 40 cars for the last 14 years, like, and not, I'm trying to do more, but I'm just like, it's like this roof that I have, which is of course my problem. And so we don't even talk about this. This is about you. But anyways, that inspires me hearing that to say, wow. Yeah. Having the right team. And I'm guessing you don't have a lot of Karens laying around your dealership. Like you seem to have a pretty like energetic, like yeah. we're, we're going to go tear the wheels off this thing and, and sell it type of a crew. So hopefully you guys uh, listened to our episode from last week uh, with the unfair advantage automotive mastermind group, August 3rd, guys, just to remind you, get signed up, be there in the Carolinas, come in the day early and spend the day with Tracy and Troy and just have a great time learning. Yeah, unfairadvantagemastermind.com. And there's a clock ticking there, 54 days, 18 hours, right? That's what it's saying right now. Um, I'm going to try to be there. I'm going to try to be there. And uh, I've been in one of these masterminds with those two guys. And it's not even just about that meeting. The people you meet during there, during that meeting, Tracy has been just a benefit forever for me. Um, I've probably known him 15 years. He's always there to help me. Troy as well. Um, they're just a good, good bunch of guys get there, have fun, stay for the convention as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, super passionate about, I have, I've actually hired very little people from other dealerships. I've always brought in new talent, fresh into the industry that we can kind of mold around our culture and the way that we do things. Um, so that, that's one thing that I was super passionate about is, is making sure that, uh, we build the culture within the side of the people and we don't bring a lot of like, uh, past experience, um, bad habits. Yeah. Yeah. From outside the industry. Right. Do you yeah, prescribe same, same any here. sales training system or do you have your own? Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, we listen to a lot of podcasts. We watch a lot of YouTube videos. Um, I've never actually subscribed to, like a formal sales training, which got like full that, size pictures of Grant Cardone in the office. Yeah, yeah. No, I've actually I listened to I listen to a lot of their stuff. You know, a mm. lot of Grant Cardone, a lot of like the way they do things. Um, and, and I I feel like you can learn something from someone, whether it's what you want to do or what you don't want to do. Um, but I, I love a lot of his content. Uh, I have listened to a lot of it. Uh, but there's a lot of really great free content out there on YouTube specifically for sales. Yeah, there is. Yeah. I mean, and, you, and, and for detailing and for all kinds of stuff. And you can really use a lot of that yeah. train on. I, I like that. And Master when you have a team that's driven, they're driven to do better. They use those tools, right? It's like, sure. You got an old dog that'll sit back and sell 10 cars a month for the rest of his life. But do you have someone who wants to get to 15 or 20 or 30 a month, you know, and they're going to go out and use those tools to get better and better and better. That's, yeah. that's the key is you've created the culture. We all know the tools are there. 
every, you know, freaking stalled out lot knows that you have somehow got your team to buy in. They're like, Hey, we're going to use these tools and we're going to, we're going to be ruthless. We're going to get better. That's awesome. Jason, let me ask you just to transition off that for a second, the Carketa thing. So we yeah. mentioned in the beginning that that's a large portion of your time and energy. Give us the scale or give us the goal. We know you have a partnership with NIADA, right? I think for the CPO mm-hmm. program, that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's gotta be huge. Like what, obviously. So, I want to know kind of how he built that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. So, so how, how that happened is, you know, how I talk about like every two years, right? It's kind of when I make my make another leap. Um, so after 2017, I obviously, I had opened the other store um, and I was really struggling with like maintaining a process around delivering that many cars to the front line. Um, so, it, it, and we struggled along, kind of limped along, but we were kind of capped out at, we couldn't do more than like 120 130 ish cars a month between both locations uh and we were really tapped out there um and and a big majority of our problem was the amount of cars that we could deliver to the front line in a quality manner um we could deliver them to the front line but they may have bald tires or they may have a chipped windshield or whatever right um so it was 17 and then we started actually developing uh, which uh, it was actually one of my finance managers at my Orem store that I was like, hey, man, we need to come up with some sort of process to solve this. And we're like, well, should we start a business? And uh, we did. <laughs> so literally, that was like what we did. We went and hired. He had a contact over to a guy that uh, developed websites for him, you know. Um, so in 2019, we kind of started like chipping away at building this process around uh, delivering recon reconditioned units to the front line. Right. And then we also want to present like some sort of like presentation. If I'm going to invest in the reconditioning process of my vehicle, I want something to show the customer that says, Hey, we did tires. We did a windshield. We did an oil change. Like this is why it makes sense to do business with action. Um, because we follow this process. Right. Um, so we started out with a reconditioning process and a digital CR. Um, and yeah, me and him, you know, he, he, we did, uh, he did F and I, and we kind of developed alongside where he eventually moved out full time, um, to over to running, uh, Carketa and we were, and then I would buy in the morning and then leave right after buying and go work on Carketa. Um, and that started in 2019. Um, and I actually have another F and I guy in my finance office at my arm store, that his dad uh, was connected to like venture capital. And we were just having a conversation about what we were building. He was a really successful guy. Um, and we, we were like, what do you think about this idea and what we're doing? He's like, he's like, you guys need to go. He's like, if you're going to do this, you need to raise, uh, raise a round of funding and you need to go with it. And we did. I mean, and, and so in 20, it was 2020, actually like right when COVID happened, we pitched pre uh, 2020 and then 20, like right after, you remember when everything fell apart in March? It was like, it was like April when we were like seeking this round of funding and we had already pitched these investors in uh, San Francisco connected through uh, one of my good friends, dad actually. Um, and we were, we were able to land our first round of funding, which was a pre-seed uh, in, uh, 2020 was like April, uh, April of 2020 after we had flew out to San Francisco. Um, and yeah, we, it was just off to the races from there. 
Um, Crosslink Capital was actually our first investor out of the Bay Area. Um, and yeah, I mean, we just have been chipping away at it. Um, software is definitely not an overnight success type thing. It, it's cash intensive. You oftentimes have to upfront commissions uh, for sales reps, you know, out of out of like the hope that the customer is going to retain um, on the platform and they're going to see value. Um, but yeah, and, and we've, we've been going at that since uh, 2020 um, and have since raised another round of funding. It was uh, 2021, I believe, um, which I think was actually one of the larger rounds of funding for a seed round company in Utah. Um, and we just, yeah, we, we, we just scaled. I think we, at the time, we, we, we've got up to around, uh, we've fully onboarded about 700 dealerships onto the platform. Obviously you have churn and not a good fit for people, uh, that type of thing, but um, right, right around like three, 400 dealerships a month main, or run their dealership processes on Carketa. Where, where do you see this going, Jason? I mean, it's, I, it's, that's pretty big. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, I mean, what is your, you know, what's your end game with this? Is it a, uh, um, IPO? is it a, is it just a big software company just for automobiles or I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I think, I think, so once you start down the VC path, like, I think that's kind of like the route of the company is you either IPO or you sell off to a big company eventually. Um, but I, right now I'm just heads down. Um, we actually rebuilt the, the product as of, uh, it was, we started about November. Uh, we hired a, a really great team, um, brought on a CEO, uh, brought on a new CTO, um, and just kind of built a team for the kind of the next level evolution of Carketa, um, which they've done a really great job. Um, and, and we rebuilt the product starting in November, um, and we're going to hard launch our new product in uh, at NIADA uh, this month, later this month, uh, which we're really excited about. Um, and yeah, I think I think right now it's just build a company, you know, like. Uh, build a company. Don't focus on uh, selling anything like that. Just build a really successful company. And I think naturally um, people want to come along and probably uh, buy or you carry it up to IPO. Uh, but right now it's just build a company, onboard as many dealerships as possible. Uh, we feel like there's a pretty underserved market specifically in, in independence um, where we can bring a tremendous amount of value from appraisal to reconditioning to everything. Um, uh, we can we can serve those independent dealerships on a wide scale is is our focus right now. So I, I want to know about the uh, I want to know about the 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 so it's public knowledge. So I'm going to bring this up. You haven't said it, but I'm, it's online. So it looks like you were like maybe 1.4 in your pre your first one, and then six million in this most recent seed round. Yep. Total of 7.4 million raised yep. since this was put out. How much yep. did you, were you able to, at some point, did you get a, did you get a cash out in the pre-seed? Like, did you retain no. ownership? Did you get diluted? Like, what were you able to keep your hands on? Yeah. So anytime you raise a round of funding, uh, you do suffer dilution. So that's why you kind of try and get it as far and as high as you can before you raise the next round of funding. Um, so yeah, I mean, we definitely suffered dilution. Um, I'm actually still on a vesting schedule. Um, those are worked into the terms of the round of the funding. Typically you don't take chips off the table till maybe like a later a round or yeah. b round or something like that um i i fortunately don't i'm not interested in taking any chips off the table 
Um, I'm very confident in what we're building and the team that we have built over here at Carcetta. We have some really, really great people, senior engineers, devs, uh, CX, marketing. Um, we've built a really stacked team that uh, I'm, I'm fully invested. But well, the real win, I mean, as a car dealer and like straight to straight, like the real win from a SaaS company is, you know, an IPO or an A round or something, right? Where that's where you're going to say, okay, this is because those are life changing valuations. You know, you build up a dealership and you have really good cash flow and you could build it to a good lifestyle business, but there is no exit. You know, there's no multiple on our dealerships when we exit, but a SaaS company and you retain, you know, 20% ownership or something. And that thing IPOs, that's life changing. That's life. Yeah. That's generational wealth. Hey, y'all real quick. Want to make sure you know about Primal End, great sponsor of the podcast. Um, and, you know, we talk about scaling with this episode and Jason, uh, it does take money. You know, you, you can slow grow and it's important to have some slow growth, but when you need to scale or when you need to step it up, you want to make sure you have a lender in place so that you can take advantage of those opportunities, right? You can't do anything without cash. You know, talking about building this other business, you got to have cash to grow. Primalin is a just a partner uh, with the car industry. It's people like that that can help you get ahead. They can help you with questions. They can help you with money. They can help you buy locations. Like Jason said, he couldn't get a loan on his first building that he wanted to buy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's where somebody like Primalin comes along. What's more fun, uh, selling cars or, or doing this? Uh, widgets. Yeah, <laughs> making widgets, yeah. Um, sometimes I feel like that's what I'm doing is making a bunch of widgets. But um, <laughs> no, so that's, that's, that's a great question. I, I really, really love the car business. I love being able to buy fun cars, sell fun cars. I mean, every day we get to buy a new car that like – Potentially, it was like our dream car, you know, like, yeah. Um, so, so I love that. The 2013 Ford Fusion that I bought yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm in the wrong car. industry, That's bro. Oh, give me a break. That's also culture building. I didn't hit on that, but I've always had a collection of really fun cars that I let the, the, the sales team and everyone experience. So that's been part of the culture building. Um, but yeah, to answer cool. your question, what's funner? Um, I, I don't know. I, I really love, I, I, I've been able to fortunately live a lot on the product side of uh, the, the software building. So I'm actually creating a lot of solutions and new project or products that will help both me and dealerships um, across. Um, so I, I really, I really like both. I, I'm really having a lot of fun. Um, obviously the more successful you have and the people you surround yourself with oftentimes determine how fun things are. Um, and fortunately we have a great team and I'm, I'm really excited about it. You could, whenever I get into a new software, I can always tell if it was developed by a car dealer or developed right. by some computer guy, right? Yeah. You can, you can just tell by user experience, by flow, by features, yeah. like yeah, the best stuff is developed by car dealers. Yeah. And then the fire, the, the fire is fueled by venture capital, right? It's like, and a lot of car dealers build good stuff. They just don't have the money to make it big. And then there's other guys who are programmers and venture capitalists and they build stuff and it's big, but it's not really that user-friendly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, what's actually been really sweet. I was actually, before this, I was actually transitioning from 
our legacy product over to the new product. So I'm taking our 500 cars in inventory, I'm updating all the statuses of where they are, and I'm making the transition actually over this weekend. Um, so I can run it really hard and uh, perfect everything for, you know, the going ongoing future, but it's so critical to have power users and people that are really invested in using the new platform because I, I would like to think I have really great ideas, but I don't have all the eyes, right? Um, Personally, do you feel like you're taking your eye off the ball? Like I look at other projects and sometimes I see shiny yeah. objects and I'm like, oh, it'd be really fun to develop a, you know, maybe something close. Like maybe I should own a repo company in an impound yard. Maybe I should own yeah. a separate repair shop that does retail work. Or maybe I should get into raising like exotic llamas or something. Like, do you ever <laughs> feel like you're taking your eye off the ball? Do you worry about the dealership when you're over here playing with Carquetta? Yeah, um, I've, I've definitely had to get really, really great at running the dealership remote. Like, but not only running sh the dealership remote, I have some pretty key players in the dealership that are really good. Um, so um, I've, I've been able to fortunately offload a lot of uh, my daily, uh, daily like stress to mm -hmm. and, and kind of you, you kind of have to just like take your hands off and say, here, guys, here's the process. Here's what you need to do. Um, and then, and then always be there to support them, obviously, if they need help. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely, I definitely do. I think, uh, the dealership, I could have it at three locations and, you know, uh, maybe four locations at this point, maybe, um, maybe, but I'm also having a lot of fun running the software company. Um, but I definitely don't think the dealership is struggling just because I think I do have. I do have really good people in place and really good levers to pull, right? Like you need to know where your, your, your points or your KPIs are and what you need to, what levers you need to have in place. Do those, do those people at the dealership, do, do any of them have uh, equity ownership or are they all salaried? Those kind of key guys that keep the ball rolling for you. Yeah. So they're, they're all salary. Um, but they all like our, our pay plans have always been pretty rich. Um, so, I, I mean, they definitely, they definitely have the opportunity to make really good money, um, which obviously I think keeps and, and retains good people. And I also like, I also um, may, uh, you know, we've entertained the ideas of like co-investing and forward thinking things. Um, and I probably with some of the key people will uh, co-invest in uh, rental properties or something like that with them. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Ooh, yeah. Idea. And and do you find more joy buying a car or buying a horse? Because I know you've bought some horses as well, right? Yeah. So horses, uh, it's a big problem right now. Uh, I have way too many. Um, no, I, I, I'm really passionate about it. My, what my dad is, my dad like really loves racehorses, um, which obviously that trickled down to me. Um, and yeah, now we have a lot of racehorses and mares and babies and um that's really fun hobby um don't count on it to make a living that's for sure <laughs> yeah. um, but it's a great hobby and we have a lot of fun with it and it's it's a really good time family's really important to me um and i get to spend a lot of time with my dad and my kids love it and uh they come see the see the see the horse all the time my wife questionable don't know if she loves it too much but uh <laughs> she likes the babies i guess yeah Sounds like one of those uh, tax deduction hobbies, right? Like, uh, <laughs> I've always like I've always been very confused with that one too. Like, is that justification? Is it really like, <laughs> a good tax write-off? Like, yeah, uh, I struggled with that one. But. 
but <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So Jason, real quick, before we wrap this up, give us advice for uh, dealers that are in your, you know, maybe they're 10 years ago in your story, mm-hmm. you know, they're 23, 25, maybe they're 55 and they're just starting their dealership out any advice or like input or words of wisdom that you would share with guys that are either building or stagnated, you know, like me that, that need to go to that, that maybe want to take it to the next level. Um, so yeah, um, I've always been really, really, really passionate about, like I said, being super frugal and being super strategic on spend. I see, I've seen a lot of dealerships that like, uh, uh, that will like build a business up and they're get going good. And, and then all, they got a, a ton of a big flooring line and they floor a lot of cars and I always keep that ratio of floored cars, cash in the bank and equity and vehicles very in line. Um, because, uh, this is a very cash intensive business, uh, building, building a really solid foundation of equity in the building business, I think is really, really super important. Uh, that was something I was super passionate about is is making sure that we built a ton of equity into um, what we were doing. So we never I, I always kind of ran things like if I ever had to pay off or write a check for the flooring line, like I always could, you know, um, and I kind of scaled cash and flooring line up together. Um, that was just and, and I don't know if that's right or wrong, um, but that was something I was passionate about. I just I never wanted to me be uh, personally worried about ever going out of business um, or, or my people. Like I never wanted them to ever worry about that day coming. Right. I always want to be really, really uh, financially stable, uh, get really good at marketing. Marketing's a huge part of uh, if you take sales and marketing out of a dealership, it, it's pretty, pretty devastating. Yeah. Um, and also uh, really closely monitor frontline ready units and your percentage of sell through on frontline units um, and control reconditioning versus frontline units and watch that very close. Um, yeah. Um, what would you say? Advice. <laughs> give us your worst mistake. What do you feel like was a misstep? Because I want to hear that too. Because sometimes it's like, yeah. yeah great. I would like to scale my cash and flooring at the same time. Like, give me a break. Yeah. Of course. Like, I don't know how I'm going to freaking do that, you know, but, yeah. but maybe yeah. share with us a mistake that you made and, and maybe something where you feel like you misstepped. Yeah. Um, a buying a Fisker Karma. Um, I ha- still have it actually. <laughs> um, no, I, I actually, yeah, actually that, that is a real life scenario. I'm losing like 10 grand. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I can uh, say that about every Tesla I bought. <laughs> yeah, all of us, right? We all went through that this last, uh, I still have an X uh, yeah. that I'm losing about 10 on. Um, so I, I mean, that's, that's the thing is like, you're always, there's always going to be wins and there's always going to be losses. You're going to win. You just got to win more than you lose. Um, yeah. uh, missteps. I'm trying to think of missteps. I think early on um, thinking that I, uh, thinking that I could do everything and I had to see through everything and I had to be involved in every process. I think like uh, early on was like, it didn't set me up for a scale quite as good um, as, yep. as we possibly could have. Um, uh, slipping up on age units. Um, I think I, I sometimes get way too comfortable with holding cars for way too long because mm-hmm. I, I maybe don't have a, a flooring pressure that's forcing me to pay cars off. Uh, which is definitely a mistake. I mean, you, you could always, uh, I think volume uh, and, and turn of units is, is so important now that 
gross in my model i i know uh, uh it's different in when you're doing like buy here pay here but um yeah that's that's oftentimes i, I think a, a mistake of mine is not controlling age of units as, as aggressively as i could maybe getting lazy there um yeah mm. i don't know i don't know uh, i definitely <laughs> i make, make mistakes every day you know um i, I buy crappy cars every, all the time but that just means I have to buy two, right? I have to average out that bad buy with a good one. You know, <laughs> I, there, there's so much good advice, Jason, that you've given our listeners. And, um, and it's the same thing that all of us have done. Um, but to kind of get it out there so that new dealers maybe don't have those type of missteps, um, that, that's a good thing. Uh, we really appreciate you being here and, and talking yeah. to us today. I could ask you questions for hours and hours. All Jason, that. So we won't keep you any longer. I know you got a lot to do. And we look forward to seeing you down at NI88 with the launch awesome. of Carqueta, right? We'll all be in Vegas, yeah. uh, what, in a week or two. So awesome. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thank you guys for uh, thank you guys for having me on here. I'm typically very, pretty introverted. So it's good to get out and, and talk. Hard to tell. So. <laughs> Obligation. I'll come find you. <laughs> all right, bud. Thanks, Appreciate Jason. Hey, thanks. Dealers helping dealers. Please leave us a review and subscribe. The Independent Dealer Podcast.